Welcome to Dodgers Dogs, Casey Porter alongside Austin Brubaker. And man, my computer has crashed and I got a new computer. It was dead on arrival. So I am on like the backup of the backup of the backup. And I have done my best and I put it all together. So, hey, we're about, oh, two, three minutes late. And that's about as good as I can do. So, hey, man, it's been crazy for me. Austin, good to see you again. Did not have a show on Sunday night. Obviously had the Super Bowl. And, and also to everybody, happy Valentine's Day. Said happy Valentine's Day to my beautiful wife this morning. So happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Yeah, good evening, Casey. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. And it's going to be a really good show, Dodgers Daily, on a Wednesday night in the big town. How can you not love this? Yep, keep talking, Austin. I have not set your your compression settings yet, so if you don't mind, go ahead and talk. Jump First of all, jump into the Miguel Vargas deal, and he's going to be a left fielder. So talk about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting move that the Dodgers have decided to go down. Growing up in the minor league system, Miguel Vargas has typically been a third baseman for the Dodgers, which if you're in the Dodgers organization right now, that spot, whether you like it or not, is being occupied by Max Muncie. And you can't just move Max Muncie over to, let's say, first base or a designated hitter. Both of those spots are filled up by Freddie Freeman and Shohei Otani. Right now, Max Muncy is going to be the third baseman. He's going to be the third baseman this season and next season, unless something, unless plans have to change. And so to try to find some sort of way for Miguel Vargas to potentially crack this roster, they're deciding to have him primarily play out of left field. Mookie Betts is at second base. That's where they kind of tried to put him last season, Miguel Vargas last season. Now they're transitioning him to being a left fielder. And I think this is going to be a really interesting and potentially good move for Miguel Vargas going forward. After this season, the 2024 season for the Dodgers right now, of the guys that are actively going to be on the roster exclusively outfielders. I'm talking about Teoscar Hernandez, James Outman. I'm Pitch. talking about Jason Hayward and Manuel Margot. Only one of those is currently under contract for next season, meaning there could be and is probably going to be opportunities to earn spots into the outfield for 2025. So Miguel Vargas comes back and he reminds us of the type of player that he is and he really performs. You could be talking about Miguel Vargas potentially being the next left fielder for the Dodgers, potentially after this 2024 season. Or if some sort of injury happens, he could very well slide in there. Chris Taylor can take over as the backup in the infield, which he's going to be super utility all over the place right now. But I think this is the best opportunity going forward for Miguel Vargas to have a potential spot on this Dodgers team because of potential openings that will be opening up over the course of the next season or two up. I think it's going to be a long shot for Miguel Vargas right now to make this opening day roster unless there is some sort of injury. But I think this is the best avenue and opportunity for him to get those opportunities and shots. Yeah, no doubt about it. Miguel Vargas, last year, of course, he started spring training with the hand injury and then had the runway. But, but you know, hey, having to sit here and just watch Major League pitches can't swing out. I think it really hurt the mechanical side of things for him. And I will say this about him. I've seen him quite a bit going all the way back to Tulsa. I think he has left side instincts, whether that be third base, whether that be left field. I just think he sees the ball come off the bat from the left side and he's more comfortable 
from that perspective. So I think this is a great move for the Dodgers. I think this is a move that squarely makes the statement. I think the big part of this is 2024, obviously, you're playing win now. But I think this is a statement to Miguel Vargas that, hey, we haven't given up on you. We are going to do whatever we have to do to figure out a way to get your offense back to the way it was and that we still believe in you and that we still believe that you have a future in the organization. So I think this is a big deal for Miguel. Yeah, I think this is a huge deal for Miguel. And I think that message is very clear because if it's something where, okay, we're going to kind of stick you into third base or second base. Well, Miguel Vargas is going to look up and say, hey, Max Muncy is playing third base. Mookie Betts is playing second base. How in the world am I going to be able to crack this roster at the big league level? The only way that he would be able to do that is if one of those guys switch positions or if there is an injury that happens. So I think this gives Miguel Vargas the clearest opportunity for a future at the big league level. I think it creates options for the Dodgers and how they want to navigate it. And I like how they are doing this at the start of season now. Okay, this is your greatest opportunity. We're going to give you a lot of runtime and a lot of practice in left field. Instead of, and especially with it being kind of a long shot seemingly right now for Miguel Vargas to crack this big league club. He's going to take a lot of those learning opportunities in left field, which he does have some experience. He can get even more experience at the minor league level where he can work on different stuff instead of having to learn a new position right right away at the big league level. Since we're expecting Miguel Vargas to maybe get some opportunities at the big league level when necessary, but a lot of opportunities in Oklahoma City, this is going to give him some defensive experience at the minor league level instead of throwing him into a newer position at the big league level. So I think that is a really good thing, and I think this is the clearest path and avenue going forward for him to make an impact on this big league roster which if you look at the course of Miguel Vargas's minor league career it has been consistently consistently good he there's a reason why the Dodgers felt comfortable giving him a runway even though he was not able to take swings during spring training for a large portion of it because he was outstanding during his minor league career consistently well above league average he had some really good power he could hit to that right center field gap really well the hit tool was amazing there's a reason why the Dodgers trusted him it did not work out in the runtime that he got so now he's got to work and fight for his opportunities going forward the Dodgers created an avenue where he can work on and fight for those opportunities and we'll see if Miguel Vargas is able to take advantage of those opportunities going forward yeah we know about all of the what he's done at the AAA level and that, that's not going to come to surprise to anybody. But even whenever we went back last year, now he did strike out a little bit more. In 2022, his 300 was three hits every 10 at-bats. He hit, he hit close to 300, 288 last year in AAA, but it was different. His K percentage was higher for him. It, it was 20% whenever he came back. And, but his base on ball percentage was 16.1. So you're still talking about a guy at the AAA level that went back to Oklahoma City, did work, and his base on ball percentage was very close to his strikeout percentage. And I know you like this stat, Austin. His ISO was 191, which was just nine points lower, nine percentage points lower than his K percentage. And when your K percentage and your ISO are, are somewhat equal, which Miguel Vargas's are almost identical, that shows that you have a great trade-off between power and striking out. Then when you add a 16.1% Based on ball percentage, 
288 average and on base percentage of 407. That was last year in AAA. A WRC plus that was 119, so 19% above league average. Miguel Vargas, and again, I, I understand it was at the AAA level. He did not do it at the major league level. I'm not trying to make any case for that, but I am saying that the, those are the reasons why those statistics I just gave you right there, plus all of the greatness he's had at the minor league level to that point. That's why this organization, and he's younger, by the way, mm-hmm. he's a guy that's not 27 years old like some yeah. of the other guys in the system. Matter of fact, he's just he just turned 24 two months ago. So he's a younger guy, still has plenty of time. He was injured last year, and then he put up just not just good stats, but but stats that would show that eventually at some point, hey, I say it all the time, Austin, everybody's timetable is different. Some guys, very few guys actually, can just go right into the major leagues and never miss a beat, right? So yeah. some guys take longer than others to get adjusted, but everything that Miguel Vargas has done would suggest that in time, now nobody knows what his timetable is, once he does get adjusted, he could be a good major league hitter. Everything yeah. suggests that. Oh, absolutely. And even just looking at some of his major league numbers, look, last season, Miguel Vargas, part of the reason why he wasn't successful, he wasn't hitting the ball very hard. But if you look at some of the numbers on here, I mean, his walks walks and strikeout percentage really held consistent at the big league level last season. He was still able to hit for a 172 ISO, and his WRC Plus was 85 through all of the struggles that he had, even though he hit 195. Talking about the major league level? At the major yes. league level, at his WRC plus was still 85. He had a 224 batting average on balls in play, which I think had to do with the fact that he wasn't hitting the baseball very hard. So you expect that to come up closer to the league average of 300. Then you're getting maybe closer to a more of a league average major league type hitter, which I think Miguel Vargas has the totally the capability to be able to do that through all of the struggles, through all the injuries that he fought through, through all of the inconsistencies, there's still a lot of potential green flags or potential things that you can look back at last season and say, okay, maybe this is a plausible explanation for why things didn't work out at the big league level. I think the Dodgers still have a lot of trust in Miguel Vargas. And I think that is why they decided to move him to left field, because I think this creates the clearest opportunity for him. I think there's still a lot of room for growth in this bat. And if it works out for him, I, and it would be a great thing for the Los Angeles Dodgers if Miguel Vargas is able to be a consistent good major league hitter. I think that would be a great thing for the Dodgers. It would add another right-handed bat to this lineup. I know there's a lot of lefties in this bat. If you can have Miguel Vargas and then maybe an Andy Pajes come up and be really good solid mm, outfielders, mm, then you mm. then you're not having to Woo. then you're not having to dish out a whole lot of money trying to get a high priced outfielder next offseason because you yep. look at the outfield exactly. next offseason it's going to be James Outman and then a bunch of question marks right now. Well, what if you have guys in the system? What if it's Miguel Vargas and left, Andy Pies and right, and James Outman in center Woo! field? That could be a very realistic. Let's go, baby. That could be a very realistic <laughs> possibility right now with this move with Miguel Vargas in left field. And if both him and Pies are able to make the adjustments necessary. Uh, through the course of the season, if Pajes is able to come back healthy and re 
uh, get back to the way that he was swinging in 2023. If Miguel Vargas is able to get to the Miguel Vargas of old and really take a lot of the lessons that he learned in 2023 and apply those this upcoming season, I think you're looking at a potentially really good, solid, young outfield that doesn't cost a lot of money, which you can supplement that with potentially some other players. You can add to this roster, but in order to keep this roster together, you can't dish out endless amount of money forever eventually there's you're going to have to call up guys from this minor league system to create some sort of sustainable success sustainable yeah yes and i think this is i think this is a a path that the dodgers could take if everything works out right where you can have some of that sustainable success and they signed max muncie to a two-year contract so yes again we're not talking about it necessarily being this year for Miguel Vargas. I think Tio Hernandez, with the role they're going to be able to put him in, is going to excel with the Dodgers this year. So please don't get us wrong. We're, we're not necessarily you know, we're, we're not necessarily talking about this year per se, okay? But we are we are talking about the future for Miguel Vargas. And so a couple of things that he is. First of all, Tio's on a one year contract, so like you said, that's going to be available next year, and. Uh, one thing that he is, too, is that what were the Dodgers looking for in a left fielder this year, Austin? They were looking for a right-handed Correct. bat that can hit left-handed pitching. Correct. He is a right-handed hitter that can hit left-handed pitching, potentially. And also, he is another guy in the lineup. You know, I complain all the time about the boom and bust nature of this offense. He is another guy that could you could you know because you have James Altman who's going to hit home runs and he's going to strike out I think that's fair to say about James I don't think that's a criticism I think that's just a realistic statement on what James Altman likely is I think he can get his 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 strikeout percentage down to 25 percent but I think that's probably the floor for James Altman that's that's as low as he could probably go with his strikeout percentage so I think he's always going to be a guy that at the very best, has a 25% strikeout percentage. So Miguel Vargas is a guy that if he gets comfortable, I think he'd get his strikeout percentage down around 16 17% maybe, and then have an average that's in the 280-290 range and be that, that guy that makes contact and he's not your boom and bust guy. So he would add a right-handed stick. He would add another guy that hits for batting average and balls in play which would be something that would be very valuable for the future of this program. Yeah, it is very much more of a when you have high walks and low strikeouts, that's very much of a high floor type player that you can work with uh, that just establishes a really good baseline. And then you can supplement additional skills on top of that. The Dodgers, if they have too many guys that strike out, well, then it's very likely that you're going to go on cold streaks. And the past couple of seasons, those cold streaks have come in October against the Padres and the Diamondbacks. And so having some of those additional high high floor type players to supplement with the incredible power and just the great nature that some of these other guys have that uh, might strike out a little bit more, but add some of that consistent power. I think that creates a little bit more consistency and predictability with your roster. Obviously Mm -hmm. baseball 
incredibly difficult to predict. Otherwise, the Dodgers, you would assume, would be winning a lot more in the postseason than what they have been. They've got it down to a science as far as large sample size. Now, adding a player like Miguel Vargas, who does walk a lot, who doesn't strike out an extraordinary amount, who still has some really good power, just creates and would create another good, solid, high-floor type player that you could add to this lineup that you would feel a little bit more comfortable with not going on a cold streak going into the postseason because he's not striking out as much because there's a little bit more consistency to his game. Obviously, Miguel Vargas has to make these adjustments. He has to make that adjustment at the big league level at some point. I don't know when those opportunities are going to come. He did get his opportunity in 2023. Now he's going to have to fight and scratch for his opportunities in the future. It's very likely that some of the guys on this big league roster will spend time on the injured list. And I think Miguel Vargas is that next guy up going to the big league level. So I think there will be opportunities for Miguel Vargas in the future. Um, and it's going to be about him establishing and proving himself in 2024 so he can be on the in the big league lineup in 2025, assuming that the Dodgers keep him around in this organization for that long. No doubt about that. That Good conversation there, Austin. That That's a good conversation on Miguel Vargas, and I want to stress this. I don't think he's – I hope he's not a factor in 2024, and not because I don't like Miguel Vargas – because I think for Miguel Vargas to be a factor in 2024, that would have to mean that somebody got hurt. Nobody's rooting yeah. for that. Tio's yeah. going to be the starting left fielder. Altman's going to be the starting center fielder. You're going to have a platoon between Margot and Hayward and Wright. Margot, I think, and Hayward are also going to, at times, platoon with James Altman as well, and maybe also Tio Hernandez. Muncy's going to be at third. Lux is going to be at short. Mookie's going to be at second, Freddie at first base, Shohei's going to be your DH, and Will's going to be your catcher. So, for Miguel Vargas to even be on the 26-man roster, somebody is going to have to get hurt. We don't want that. So, again, I want to preface everything with what we're saying with this is likely a move for 2025 and not 2024. And, and from those perspectives, but I think it is a very exciting move for Miguel Vargas. And I have seen him probably, oh, 15 or 20 games in left field, and he's good. The, I, I had this comment brought up on Twitter today, and I totally agreed with it. Hey, the first maybe one or two moves aren't the quickest in the world, but I do think once he gets going, he is a fa- he is fast once he gets going. It's just the one, first one or two steps. I don't think he's that quick, twitchy type of quick like Gavin Lux is so I think left field he's a left field he's a left side uh, instinct type of guy I think it suits him just absolutely perfectly I say I think it suits his footwork his athletic ability his eye I think it fit it fits his arm I think it fits everything just absolutely 100% perfect and another thing that is great about this unlike last year where he had to get broke into a new position at the major league level He's going to get he's going to get broken into a fairly new position at the minor league level this year. That is a good thing for him. He needs 150 games out there in left field. Let him have hell at it, and then 2025, let's go. Now 2024, who's to say? I mean, all hell could break loose, and we could need him to be ready in 2024. I'm not saying that, but as of right now, that's what it would take. So I, I think that's exciting. 
Yeah, it's very exciting, and that's a really good point about him getting this instead of under the pressure of Dodger Stadium or under the pressure of any other major league facility. He's going to be doing this in the old Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma yeah. City. He's going to be doing it, <laughs> in which case, it's great environment. It is nowhere near the pressure of a major league stadium <laughs> no. for him. Uh, so that's yeah. going to give him an opportunity to work on that, to work on his first couple steps in the outfield, to work on all of these adjustments that he's going to have to make in left field. So then when he comes up to the big league level, he is ready to go and he has experience in left field. Instead of saying, okay, we're going to start you for the first time really, or for the first time in a while at second base at the big league level. Also good luck hitting against these big league <laughs> pitching. I think this is going to be a better strategy for him yeah. and it's going to be best for the Dodgers because I think you're going to have a better fielder coming out of it going into the big league level then trying to establish somebody in a whole new aspect while they have to make all the other adjustments that come at the big league level i think that's a really good point and i'm really excited to see what miguel vargas is able to do and what he's able to run with he's gonna have to put in the work he's going to have to fight for his opportunities going forward um, but he has all the talent to be able to lead to able to make it to the bar that the Dodgers set and be able to establish himself as a major league player. We've talked about him for a long time in this Dodgers system. There's a very good reason for that. He still has all the talent in the world. And this is the best case scenario for Miguel Vargas right now. Yeah. The one thing that I've always said about him, even going back from the first time that I saw him, you can ask D-Mac and guys that I've talked to about him, was his exit velos aren't super impressive. That's the one thing I think if you were to say, why would he not – if you were to ask me what one thing would keep Miguel Vargas from sticking as a solid major leaguer, an everyday major leaguer, I think it would be the exit velos. I think he needs to get a little bit stronger. That could have – that last year could have been part the hand, but I, I'm telling you also, as good as he's been in the minor leagues, he you know, he's good at hitting the gaps and hitting the ball – where the defense isn't, but I do think he needs to, to, to fill his body, which he's only 24. He will. He'll get stronger as mm -hmm. he keeps going. He needs to get stronger, especially in the hands, and I think he needs to increase his exit velo. I think once he does that, he keeps the same stroke. He will be fine. So, hey, we have a great crowd logging in. Let's get to some of these wonderful comments we have. Good evening to all of you Dodgers, dogs out there. It is Wednesday night in the big town, and we're having a hell of a good time talking Dodgers baseball. I've been fixing computers all day. My my desktop crashed. My laptop crashed. Both of them crashed at the same time. Went out and dropped two grand on a new laptop and a new desktop. Got my laptop installed, but it was going to be kind of my, my transport computer. Sat down to get my desktop going to get everything set up. Dead. Wouldn't even turn on, so I had to take that back. Then had to make my laptop, the, the lab, the computer we're streaming from, and we got it done right at the wire. So I'm excited that we are on here for Dodgers Dogs, and we get to talk to you wonderful Dodgers baseball fans, and what a great offseason it has been. Let's get to some great comments that we have. Samuel says, howdy, y'all. Hey, Samuel. Howdy back to you. Thank you so much for joining Dodgers Daily. Matter of fact, I got so much equipment strung everywhere, I don't even know which camera to look at right now. So if I'm not looking at the camera, I, I promise I'm not side-eyed. I got so much strung out right here. So, hey, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to keep having a good time. Samuel Ellis, Ellis, 88 Dodgers had no third baseman. 
they would have killed to have Max Muncie. And the thing about it is, with Max Muncie, if Gavin Lux can hit for batting average, Mookie Betts is going to hit for batting average. Freddie Freeman's going to hit for batting average. Will Smith should hit for batting average. Shohei Otani should hit for batting average. That's five guys. Plus, I think Jason Hayward and Manny Margot, they can both hit 250-ish, correct? So I think with those five guys that should probably hit 275 or above, that is the type of lineup that you can put a Max Muncy-type offensive game into because the thing that makes Max Muncy and Chris Taylor both valuable for the Dodgers, I don't think either one of them would be very valuable with a whole lot of other teams because when Max Muncy actually does hit a home run, which is quite often, there's guys on base. Whereas like if he played for another team that didn't have Mookie and Freddie, he'd be hitting a lot more solo home runs. And so he'd have like 15, 20 less RBIs. His WRC plus numbers would come down and all of that. So the fact that you have all these great players around Max Muncy means now if he hits 25 home runs, they all mean something. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Not only would the 88 team take Max Muncy, I think his type of offensive game is a perfect fit for the type of offensive players you put around him. Did that make any sense? Yeah, that made some sense. Yeah, I, I've been a big proponent of Max Muncy. I get it. Batting average is not great. He strikes out a decent amount, which if you look at his strikeout percentage last season, it was 26.4%. I think we often think of Max Muncy closer to the 30% strikeout percentage. He only strikes out about, about 25% of the time, which is some of the goals that we set out for a James Outman type player. I'm not saying that Max Muncy is James Outman. There are very different components to this game, particularly speed and defense. Part of James Outman's game, not part of Max Muncy's. But Max Muncy is an on-base machine. He draws a ton of walks, and he's able to hit for that power. He's able to come up clutch in big moments because he's able to hit those home runs. And with the offense that he is surrounded by, that can produce a lot of runs for this Dodgers team. When you have to go through the lineup of Mookie Betts, when you have to go through Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, Will Smith, and he might stumble upon a Max Muncy, or maybe you have to go through Teoscar Hernandez before then. Uh, Max Muncy is right in the mix of there. And if you had to pitch to one of those guys, maybe Max Muncy is the guy that you pitch to. And if you decide to pitch to Max Muncy, you can put it over the right field fence very quickly. Max Muncy consistently well above league average offensively. He is not the greatest defensive third baseman, but with the offensive upside that he prevent that he brings he's consistently been a really good solid contributor to mm -hmm. this dodgers team there's a reason why the dodgers want to bring him back and he's been incredibly valuable and it's very hard to find good valuable third basemen that have the level of on-base ability and slugging percentage that he brings and when he's surrounded with a lot of good players that don't strike out a lot that are able to put the ball in play and get on base quite often that just brings up max muncie's value just that much more because he's surrounded by such a great team that's able to elevate his game and max muncie Look, Max Muncy is a Los Angeles Dodger. He's been yes. a Dodger for quite a while. He is one of the consistent parts of this team, and there's a good reason for that. Over the course of large sample sizes, he has been incredibly good. On-base machine, slugging monster. Max Muncy is a really good, solid player that a large portion of other teams 
would love to have that, even if that comes with some limited defensive ability at third base. Offensively, so here's your K percentages. 2021, just 20.3%. That's good, especially for a guy that 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 hits as many home runs. He hit 36 home runs in 2021. 36 home runs, had a walk rate of 14% and a strikeout rate of 20.3. This was just two years ago, and an ISO of 278. So his independent, uh, his independent power numbers would suggest that he had a very positive power versus strikeout ratio in 2021. One of maybe, if not the most positive, power versus strikeout ratio in the entire game in 2021. Then in 2022, he backed that up with a strikeout percentage of 25%, which, hey, for a guy that hits as many home runs, he had 21 home runs, but as many home runs as he hits, 25% in today's game day and age, that's acceptable, especially when you're walking at 15.9%, which is what he did in 2022. Then last year, his K percentage, you know, like you said, that surprises me, 26.4, which that's high, but it's not just outrageously high, mm-hmm. especially considering his walk rate was 15.9. His ISO was 188. So, yes, his combination between power and striking out has been going the wrong way in the last two years. But in 2021, it was elite. His combination of hitting for home runs was was so much better than the, than the deficit of him striking out. It, it, was, it was an elite level. It has been flipping. Last year, I think you would have to say that the trade-off was quite a bit more negative. We'll see how it goes in 2024, but super excited to get this season going and see how the Dodgers can do. Need to get yeah, but, any more comments before we get to some to, to more of the chat? Yeah, I'll just say one additional point with Max Muncy, and this just shows how valuable it is with his wins above replacement with his war numbers going back to his time with the Dodgers. It's 4.6, yeah. 4.8, yeah. 0.2, which that was in 2020, so you can kind of skip over that a little bit short in season. 4.8 in 21, 2.4 in 22, 2.9 in 23. Consistently really good solid productive player on a pretty for that type of production a really good team friendly deal max muncie is a really good solid player and he is the third baseman of the dodgers and his wrc plus numbers have been on average in the last three years 22 percent above league average offensively so that's why the dodgers signed him to a two-year contract despite the fact that guys like me think that he needs to have a higher average. And I like the dynamic type players, but there is your reason why he was signed. Hey, One-Eyed Dragon, thank you so much for joining. Appreciate you joining Dodgers Dogs tonight. We have just a great crowd. Hey, guys, I can't thank you enough. We have started this from the ground up. Austin and I are passionate about these prospects. We are passionate about Dodgers baseball. We love bringing this to you, and it makes it all worth it when we get such wonderful fans in the lobby and we already have a super chat austin and that is from pelicans i just clicked something that i didn't need to click let me get down to the super chat from pelicans hi all says pelicans and hi back to you man hey thank you so much for joining hey i've talked to pelicans quite often i try to respond to every comment but especially when great commenters like pelicans comments and and just a wonderful part of this wonderful dodgers daily community we're all doing this together so pelicans Thank you so much for that super chat. Cannot tell you 
how much that is appreciated. Hey, this equipment and all this, this isn't free. This is a hobby. We, Austin and I, I'm getting ready to write Austin a check and send it in the mail. But, hey, we lose money at this. Trust me, we do. We don't make money at this. And we do that uh, very willingly because we love doing it. So every time you guys donate anything, you, I can't explain to you how, how uh, much we appreciate this. Chipping in for your new desktop, says Brett Rose. Hey, with the four ninety nine dollars uh, Super Chat. Austin, we are on fire with the Super Chat tonight, huh? Oh, yeah. No, it's a Valentine's Day miracle. The old, all these Super Chats that are coming in. No, yeah. we are incredibly grateful. Pelicans and Brett, uh, thank you so much for that. It's, it's very much appreciated. We put a lot of work into this. We go to a lot of these minor league games. We don't get the opportunity to go to Dodger Stadium. And if we did, we'd have to spend all of our Super Chat money just to get into the outfield seats with yeah. all of the great moves <laughs> that they're having. It'd be totally worth it. But we get the opportunity to go to Casey Dudes to Oklahoma city in tulsa i get to go to great lakes which 51 days from today will be opening day from dow diamond can't be more pumped about that um no we do this for a lot of fun because we're passionate about the dodgers and we're passionate about these prospects and trying to cultivate a winning culture and we love the game of baseball and we're just really grateful that you guys are a part of this journey with us no doubt about it hey david razor i'm so glad that you enjoyed that outman trailer I play that Albert every now and then when he flips over the wall, going back to the wall and sliding a couple of times. That Outman defensive trailer is pretty badass, isn't it, Austin? Oh, yeah. No, that is super cool. It, and it's been a staple of this channel, yeah. kind of going back for that intro video for quite a while. We might have to add a couple more prospects yes. in there, too, and get some more defensive highlights. I know there's been a lot of amazing defensive plays that they've no had doubt. over the system, and so we might have to put in some of those as well no doubt about that that's something i'm gonna do that may be a video for next week i hope you enjoyed some of the spring training coverage i know there were some duplicates with the show otani uh, press conference and and the yoshi but that i put that towards the end so if you didn't want to watch that you could click off of it which was good but there was some new footage of, of otani and then yamamoto throwing a bullpen and i i wanted to i hope i hope you enjoyed at least some of uh that the footage that we saw on, on on that video so i hope you enjoyed that i know it, it's uh it's something i decided to put out there i've been fighting this computer thing so austin and i weren't able to do one of our normal prospect videos do have tyrone tyrone lorenzo tyrone not tyrone tyrone lorenzo got him in the can want to thank trinidad from dodgers 2080 for translating gonna premiere that interview tomorrow night i am so excited about that Ty tyrone lorenzo interview he is such a cool young man so hey tune in tomorrow night six o'clock pacific it's about 20 25 minutes something like that we'll talk some tyrone tyrone lorenzo tomorrow night on dodgers daily so hey one eye dragon thank you so much for joining david thank you so the for those wonderful comments daniel barry sports highlights hey back to yourself thank you so much for joining nando 390 good good evening tonight nando nando Always has awesome comments that are always very thought-provoking. I love reading not I love reading everybody's comments, especially Nando. Maybe the Dodgers are just trying to bring up Vargas's value again. I can see him gone at the deadline. I, I think that could very well yeah. be a realistic 
possibility for the Dodgers, especially if they don't envision him having a future, having a role in the future. So I think this is kind of the best of both worlds. I think this is creating an opportunity where if Miguel Vargas succeeds and you have a really good, talented player that you want on the Dodgers, this is creating an avenue for him to create a role for himself in left field where there's very likely going to be an opening coming next season with the uh, subtractions of Hernandez with Hayward and Margot not being on the team next season. I think this is creating an opportunity for him as well as creating, trying to find the best way to establish himself as a really good, valuable piece so that other organizations, if the Dodgers say, hey, we need to go all in for 2024, we need a good, solid relief piece or hey, we need another starting pitcher, or hey, we need so whatever the Dodgers need throughout the course of the season, you could turn to Miguel Vargas, who might be getting a little bit more comfortable in left field, who has shown that he can be a little bit versatile, has played other positions as well, can try to help reestablish himself as a good, valuable piece. And then at the trade deadline, you can assess your big league club and weigh that with some of the future needs of the big league club as well and then if it turns out hey Miguel Vargas has been hitting really well again in Oklahoma City and an opening has not opened up at the big league level quite yet and we feel like the need for this season 2024 is greater than the opportunity for Miguel Vargas in 2025 then you could use him in a trade package for whatever need the Dodgers have this upcoming season so I think this is a good opportunity for one Miguel Vargas to find some sort of possible way onto this Dodgers team and if not re-establish his value as a really good prospect a really good piece that other organizations could really use. Because I think one of the things with, for say, a Michael Bush, he was very much a, you could put him at second base, maybe at first base or third base. All of those positions were covered up by the Dodgers, which means that they were not in a great leverage position because where are you going to put Michael Bush? You can't even put him at DH because Shohei Otani is not there. Now with Miguel Vargas, because he's not stuck in a place where the Dodgers just don't have any openings for him and other organizations are just going to wait until they kind of get desperate of giving him up. Now you're in a little bit more of a better leverage type situation because you have him in left field to where the Dodgers could sit back and say, Hey, no, we're comfortable having him be our left field of the future. Instead of having him stuck at third base and be like, okay, well maybe 2026 third baseman is Miguel Vargas. Maybe we move him to second base, and maybe if Mookie Betts gets injured or we want to move him back to the outfield, this creates a much more of an established role, and it creates better leverage for the Dodgers in trade negotiations. So I think this is the best move for the Dodgers for Miguel Vargas as well. I think it creates better value for Miguel Vargas and perhaps even more, it creates better leverage for the Dodgers going forward Mm -hmm. if they decide to move him. That's a great point, the leverage part of it, which the Dodgers had none of with Michael Bush because everybody knew that he was stuck. And so they did did as good as they could getting Jackson Ferris, Zaire Hope, but they didn't get like a Tanner Scott piece or, or, you know, or like a, a Corbin Burns type piece. I think like a lot of Dodgers fans would have liked because I think everybody knew the Dodgers were stuck with Bush. So that's a great point, Austin, as you always do, making 
great points here on Dodgers. Dogs is part of the Dodgers Daily Network. Hey, David Razor said he's rooting for Miguel Vargas. I think we all are. So super excited to see how his 2024 goes. Jason Ceretti. Jason, thanks. Thank you so much for joining Dodgers Dogs tonight. Dodgers Dogs. It's Wednesday night in the big town. Hey, haven't mentioned this yet. If you haven't done it so yet, hey, hit that like button. Just 24 likes. We have a great community here tonight. We're all doing this together. We have some wonderful, wonderful super chats. Hit that like button. Okay, call all your friends, text your friends, get them over here to this chat. Let's have a good time. And if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button and leave a comment, not just a chat, leave a comment. Jason Soretti, outside of Vargas, who not on the anticipated 26 man do you see making the biggest impact in the bigs this year? The guy that sticks out to me would be River Ryan. He's only not on the 26 man because he was not eligible for the Rule 5. But I think River Ryan would be the guy that's not on the 26 that has a chance to play a role with the Dodgers. Yeah, on the 40-man roster with River Ryan, he's not on the 40-man roster. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I I think the biggest impact of the guys that – so we'll take it both on the 26 and the 40-man roster. Uh, I think it's going to have primarily to do with the pitching, and I think that just has to do with the structure, with the trying to keep these pitchers healthy through the course of the season. And I think the Dodgers are going to be creative of how they want to give each one of these guys innings. This is going to take a lot of creativity, a lot of work, a lot of checking in on your players, making sure that these guys are healthy because the ultimate goal through the course of this season is to make sure your best pitchers, your established pitchers, the guys that you feel comfortable with going into the postseason are healthy to go when October strikes. So how do you do that when you're navigating with a bunch of really high and high upside but injury prone or inconsistent or you're dealing with some unknowns on this roster? You're going to have to be creative on how you go through the course of this season. So I don't think the Dodgers are going to go to establish six-man rotation, but I think they're going to be creative on how they give each one of these guys innings, on how they implement some of the younger guys, younger pitchers that are going to come up through this system and get some big league innings. It might be inconsistent. It might be a little bit strange on how the Dodgers navigate it. Their ultimate goal is to make sure that as many of these guys can be healthy going into the postseason as possible. So with guys that aren't on the established 26-man roster, I think you're going to see a lot of the young, really talented pitchers come up and really help fill in that void and allow for some breaks, allow for Walker Buehler to heal for an extended period of time, allow for a guy like maybe Tyler Glass now needs a week or so off, or maybe you want to make sure that he is coming back from 120 innings, which is one of his career highs, making sure that he is able to be well-rested going into the postseason. All of these different avenues, I think the biggest, clearest opportunity for guys on the Dodgers is going to be the pitching side. The guys that we talked about quite a bit, Gavin Stone, Landon Knack, um, all Michael Grove, all of these different guys, Kyle Hurt, all of the guy, pitching guys that we've talked about. On the big league side, as far as positions players side, 
Miguel Vargas, I think, very, very clearly has the best opportunity because he can fill in to a lot of different positions and because you have Chris Taylor that can fill in for the infield positions as backup if you add in a Miguel Vargas and you say Miguel Vargas, you're almost exclusively an outfielder. I think that creates the most flexibility. Andy Pies is another guy that's on the 40-man roster, but he's going to need time coming off from his injury to be able to get acclimated to Oklahoma City to make sure that he's fully healthy and ready. If there's some type of injury at the catcher's position, you could see a Hunter Fiducia, yeah. or if it's something where Austin Barnes very clearly is not a major league quality player again, and he's just so detrimental to the catching unit that you have to move on for him, then you could see a Hunter Fiducia be able to come jump in and join the fray. Guys, not on the 40-man. I think you're still looking at some of the pitching side, so you're looking at a river Ryan, you're looking at some potentially maybe some of the lefties that we've talked about for quite a bit on the position player side it gets a little bit tricky right now uh, to see who could be that established guy i don't have anybody that jumps out right now just because they're backed up by quite a bit i would say like a drew avens but i think with miguel vargas moving to left field i think that just creates another path that is blocked for a guy like drew avens and ryan ward which is unfortunate because i think both of those guys deserve opportunities and we'll be fighting for them to get opportunities at the big league level at some point and then it's going to be potentially some non-roster invites if Austin Gothier is able to continue to strive for it and be incredibly successful like he was this past season maybe he's another good solid utility type player there's a lot of different options that the Dodgers could go through on this roster there's a lot of really talented players up and down this organization right now the big league club is incredibly crowded but as we've seen through the history of organizations and teams and especially in recent history as there's been a lot of injuries to pitchers they move guys up and down on the position players side not just with the dodgers but throughout all teams in the in major league baseball there's going to be guys moving up there's going to be guys moving down moving on to the injured list so you will be able to see a lot of these guys maybe not consistently get time at the big league level, but their time will come and they will be needed and will be called upon at the big league level. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces. Very likely the 26 guys that you come out of camp with will not be the 26 guys that will be ready to go in the postseason. There's going to be a lot of moving factors and pieces and we'll see how this unfolds. We're not hoping we're really hoping against any type of injuries, but that is a reality of the game of baseball. Yeah, I think you have to do that in two layers because I think Walker Bueller is going to be back, oh, somewhere midway. So if you're talking about with Bueller on the roster, I think you, your your biggest contribution guy that's not that – if Bueller started the season on the 26th, I don't think Kyle Hurt breaks on the big league roster. Would you agree with that? Just from a numbers perspective? Yeah, from a numbers perspective, it's going to be incredibly hard, especially because a lot of the guys do not have minor league options. Well, let's count them. Ryan Brazier, one. There's Tyler Glass now, two. Gratterall, three. Joe Kelly, four. You have Bobby Miller, five. Paxton, six. Phillips, seven. Sheehan, eight. You have Blake Trinan, nine. You have uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, ten. Ryan Yarbrough, uh, 11, and then you have Walker Bueller. So let me go over that again. Brazier Bueller, there's two. Then you have Glass now, three. Gratterall, four. 
Kelly, five. You have Miller, six. Paxton, seven. Phillips, eight. Sheehan, nine. Trine, and ten. Uh, Yamamoto, 11. Yarbrough, 12. Yeah, so there's 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 possibly room there. And so we'll see. So let's let's take it. Let's take it as if Kyle Hurt is on the twenty-six man roster. So let's hope that Kyle Hurt is on the yeah. twenty-six man roster yeah. for the and, entire time. Yeah, and that's assuming that he wins a battle over a guy like a JP Fireisen yeah. who has two minor league yeah, options. Correct. There could be a battle there, or it could be a battle with is Alex Vesia going to make this opening right. day roster? But yeah. then you're only having Ryan Yarbrough as the only left only left handed reliever on this team. Is that a position that you want to put yourself in? Or is he in competition with a Blake Trinan, which if you don't want Blake Trinan, then you're not going to have him in the organization. So it's still going to be an uphill yep. battle for Kyle Hurt, even with Walker Bueller not being on this yep. team. Now you could see Kyle Hurt potentially being in competition for that fifth starting pitching role with Emmett Sheehan, with Gavin Stone, with Michael Grove, with all with Gavin Stone, all of these young, really talented pitchers. But I think the I, which Kyle Hurt has been a starting pitcher through the course of his minor league career. I think that the expectation seems to be right now that he's going to be a relief pitcher because that's the most clearest path to the big league for the Dodgers right now. I think he could still be that bulk starting pitching type inning, gets you yeah. four or five innings. But it it's about giving him the opportunity because he's incredibly talented. He struck out everybody at the minor league level. I think he deserves an opportunity at the big league level. The question is, are you willing to sacrifice some of the depth that is already at the big league level to provide those innings for Kyle Hurt? Or is the easy solution because Kyle Hurt has three minor league options mm-hmm. to be able to use some of those guys that might get hurt at the big league level early in the season. And as the season progresses, as uh, as roster spots open up with injuries, do you use that as an opportunity to get Kyle Hurt into the big leagues? I think those are going to be questions. I think there's going to be very real competition. I think that JP Fireisen versus Kyle Hurt versus Michael Grove yeah. versus a whole bu- Gus Varlin, Ricky Venasco, yeah. all of these guys fighting for one, maybe two relief pitching spots in the Dodgers system is going to be fascinating and going to be a very important watch as we're watching spring training unfold, which eight days from now, there will be Dodgers baseball Dodgers versus Padres in spring training, just eight days away until we get to see baseball return. I know Casey and I are looking forward to all of the baseball, but particularly maybe the later innings when some of these minor league players get to get into the action, but just having baseball come back, see pitchers and catchers have already reported eight days from now, we'll actually be able to watch big league action or at least spring training action. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And there's going to be very real competition that has very serious implication for the guys that we've talked about all off season that are coming up in the system. No doubt. Hey, we have another super chat from Roy. Roy Estrada, thank you so much for the super chat. We already have five of them tonight, Austin. This is just absolutely awesome. Roy says, go blue. And we have a bunch of comments that we need to get to. We have a great chat going on tonight. So outside of Vargas, who not on the anticipated 26, man, I think this guy right here, I think Gavin Stone is going to have a good bounce back. And I think that's because he added that cutter. I think that's going to be a game changer for him. And I think he is going to get adjusted to the major league level. 
and be good. So we'll see. And and that was a good conversation, a great question. Hey, Harley, good evening to you. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful comments, Harley. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful baseball person and joining us here on Dodgers Dogs. Always love it when Harley shows up. Matty Man 5 Dodge. Hey, Matty Man, thank you so much for joining. I always love it when Matty Man comes and comments. Another, hey, I say it all the time, Austin. We don't have the biggest crowd here at Dodgers Daily, but we have what? We have the best crowd out there. No doubt about it. Matty Man always leaves just incredible comments. They're building the He's kind of talking about what we talked about earlier, building the trade value for Miguel Vargas. He had a shot last year. It just didn't happen. Hey, Mike is in the, the, the chat tonight. If you have any questions, I know he left a, at a glance. He is running the Discord. He, led a, he left a link to the Discord in the chat. So if you have any questions, just let him know, and he can answer all of that. Mike is our superstar moderator. Can't thank Mike enough for all the wonderful stuff that he does. Denard, hey, Denard, good evening, and thank you so much for joining Dodgers Dogs. We have just a wonderful crowd. Imagine if Ryan Pepio, Rookie of the Year in the AL, and Michael Bush in the NL. Yeah, that would be something. So between, we also had a question from Yong Yi. Which player do you think has the highest ceiling? among Michael Bush, Miguel Vargas, and James Altman. I think Vargas probably has the highest floor. I think James Altman probably has the highest ceiling. And I think Miguel Vargas is the perfect combination uh, between those two. I think Michael Bush is the perfect combination between those two. Yeah, I, th- I would say that's, that's probably correct, I would say, especially because James Altman was able to put up four wins above replacement this past season in center field when he was still working on limiting some of the strikeouts, when it was still a little bit up and down. You're talking about the upside with James Altman. I think you could see him perhaps improving on that four-win season going into the future, whether that will be during this four upcoming war. season. That four wins of Ralph replacement season, yes. according to fan graphs. Yes. Whether that comes in 2024 or whether that comes in some future years, I think James Altman has all the potential in the world and he plays a primary position out in center field. I think that makes a huge impact. He's also got great speed. So you could see him being a 2020 player in the future or a 30, 30 player. If he wants to push it, uh, I think you could see a lot of different avenues for him. Michael Bush, he is a Chicago Cub right now. I think he, I, for one, for the previous comment talking about Pepio winning Cy Young and Michael Bush winning Rookie of the Year, Pepio winning Rookie of the Year, both of them winning Rookie of the Year, I'd be super pumped for them. I'm still rooting for both of those guys, even though they're part of other organizations. I don't want them to not have success just so the Dodgers can say, we won this trade. No, if you come up in this organization, we have your back, and I want to see you succeed just as long as it's not against the Dodgers. So I wish Michael yeah. Bush all the best of luck. He has all of the great tools to be a great offensive hitter. It's going to be about, okay, he might be limited with some of his defensive ability, but can he be able to Maybe. produce at the big league level? I think he's going to be able to do that. I think he probably is going to be able to surprise some people with some of his defensive output. You're talking about last season, a close to 150 WRC plus out of him from Oklahoma city, which you can't say that's just because it was Pacific coast league, because he was hitting well above the league average at the Pacific coast league. And I think he's going to do a great job. I think he's going to be a great fit 
out there primarily it sounds like maybe playing first base for the chicago cubs i'm really excited to see what michael bush is able to do and then with miguel vargas i think he has a lot of different tools obviously it did not work out well with the large sample size but we talked about it earlier he's got a lot of great tools and a lot of great upside and we've talked a lot about him coming up in this system i think putting him in left field is going to be a good opportunity for him, for the Dodgers and for him to reestablish himself to have a good, solid, successful big league career. So all of those guys, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to be able to watch them be able to play baseball going forward. James Altman with the Dodgers, uh, Michael Bush with the Chicago Cubs and Miguel Vargas right now with Oklahoma City, potentially with the Dodgers. And then we'll see what happens as he continues to progress with his big league career. No doubt about that. You're looking at James Outman here and we have a comment in the chat. Hey, how about some Peyton Martin video? Hey, you're on Dodgers daily, man. You need video of some one of these wonderful prospects in the system. You are in the right place. There's that young rock star right there throwing that 90 eight mile an hour fastball 98 i'm super excited for peyton martin to see what he can do this year okay hey maddie man dodge says and i i addressed this in my hot take on monday thank you thank you for watching that if you if you did watch that if you haven't go back and watch that 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 hot take if you don't mind it's just about the offense and how good it had the possibilities it has and i mentioned that probably that platoon in right field is the weak link to the offense having said that I do think there's an opportunity, and I would totally agree. They're not, of course, they're not up to the Mookie bets. I think probably your right field platoon is likely the weakest offensive link to your lineup. Having said that, I think between a Margot and a Hayward platoon, I think you could possibly be top 10 right field wise, like not player wise, like Jason Hayward or Banny Margot individually. Neither one of them are going to be here close to the top 10. Not saying that. But I think when you combine their production and you say, okay, what did every other team get out of their right field? I think possibly that t- th- those two can approach maybe top 10 numbers. Am, am I a little bit too optimistic there, Austin? Um, p- perhaps, but then you yeah. think about it, they're going to be put in the best possible positions that's I, that's to exactly succeed, right. yes. which, they're, which Jason Hayward's going to be going up against almost exclusively right-handed pitching. Manuel Margot is going to be going up against left-handed pitching, in which case they have much different and better numbers with those splits. So you're going to be playing against a better – you're going to be – putting them in the best possible situation to succeed. And especially with the amount of talent that's in this Dodgers lineup, the amount of protection that they have very likely that these pitchers are going to attack a Jason Hayward and Manuel Margot because they have no other choice, but Mm -hmm. to attack those guys, which is going to create opportunities for them to step up and be able to succeed. So I'm not expecting Jason Hayward or Margot to be established great top 10 individual players, but with the position that they put themselves in and with the situations the Dodgers present themselves in with them going up against left-handed or right-handed pitching 
for the most part, almost exclusively. I think that's going to create the best possible yep. case scenario. And I think they're both two really solid defenders out there. So you're talking about really good, solid defense. You're putting them in the best position to succeed offensively, which even if it is somewhere around league average, that's still a really good, solid production that you're getting out of the outfield. And you don't necessarily need a superstar at every single position on this team. I think it'd be amazing to be able to get that very hard to achieve and having Jason Hayward be that leadership type role that he was this past season, having Margot be able to fill in there, be a right-handed platoon option with him and probably provide different perspective and some leadership from a really good Tampa Bay organization that has had a lot of success. That's done things a little bit different. I think that's going to be a really good, solid piece to have to this club. And I think both that combination, although it is the weak spot in the lineup right now, it is the weak spot positional player wise. I think it can really surprise a lot of people because they're going to be put in the best position to succeed. Solid defense. I think the Dodgers with the money, with the resources that they allocated towards that, I think they've done a they position themselves to do fairly be fairly yeah. successful out there. I love your points about hey, they're going to have great matchups, and then also because of the 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 guys around them, they're also not only going to just get great matchups. I think they're going to get great pitches to hit. I love those two points; those are fantastic points, Austin. You're looking at Peyton Martin here. Young rock star, 19 years old. At least he was when I talked to him about a month ago. I do have an interview on him. And then also, I think the point is there, you hit on this. If that platoon right there is your weakest link in your offense, you're okay, I think. I, I think I think it's it's safe to say that. So that that's a great conversation to have. Hey, we have a question here in the chat. Of when do you think this is from Carlos? Hey, Carlos, thank you so much for joining Carlos is such a wonderful baseball person. Leave great comments. When do you think Andy Pajes will deb- debut? Obviously, he's getting over the shoulder surgery. I think he's going to be available probably midseason. I think at very best, you could be looking at a September call-up, and it wouldn't be necessarily to win a position. It would be more so just simply to say, hey, Andy Pajes, young man, let's go get some, uh, let's go get some major league experience under your belt so then we can go out and 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 understand the adjustments that you need to make and get you ready for 2025 because i think alongside possibly miguel vargas moving to left field and here is andy pahez right here i think there's a chance andy pahez could be the starting right fielder in 2025 yeah i think there's a couple of very important questions to ask if and when Andy Pies is going to make it onto this big league club. One, first and foremost, is Andy Pies' health. Is he actually healthy? Are we able to make sure that he's able to get some games, able to get some reps in in Oklahoma City to make sure that he is as healthy and comfortable as possible coming back from that injury? I think that's hurdle number one. Hurdle number two is, is there going to be an opportunity at the big league level? I think through the course of the season, obviously we're not rooting for injuries, right. but there there very likely will be opportunities that will arise. Now, I think Miguel Vargas very likely gets the fir- first crack 
of those opportunities that open up in the outfield because uh, he has more big league experience. He is ready, and depending on how he is performing, I think he's going to get some of those first opportunities. But I think it's also going to be important if the Dodgers view Andy Pajes as a critical and important piece of the 2025 team. I think they're going to want to see him get some at-bats and some big league production on the big league club in 2024, similar to how we saw a little bit of James Outman in 2022 before he stepped up and became an important critical role in 2023. I think you're going to potentially see Andy Pajes later in the season, assuming that he's healthy, assuming that he's been productive at Oklahoma City. If the Dodgers want to try to see if Andy Pajes can be an option for the 2025 team, be a potential starting outfielder or at least a platoon type outfielder. I think they're going to want to see him get some experience, mm-hmm. big league experience in 2024. So I think you will see Andy Pajes at some point, how that Avenue opens up, how those opportunities arrive is a complete mystery right now because we have not even started spring training games yet. I think they will find a way to get any pies, some big league at bats, because I think they Mm -hmm. love the upside that he has. And I think he has all the talent in the world. And if he could be one of your big league starting outfielders, I think he has incredible value similar to the value of a James Elman that he brings. I'm not saying that he's going to be a four war player, but I'm saying that Andy Pajes having him under a cheap controllable contract can be incredibly valuable for your organization because then you don't have to spend $20 million on yeah. an outfielder okay. next off season. You can allocate that to whatever Avenue that you have or what other avenue that you need to further address this team to be a juggernaut in the National mm-hmm. League and hopefully be a World Series type World Series type team. Okay, hey, we have another super chat, Austin. Check this out. Jason Soretti, 20 bucks, dude. This is amazing. I cannot thank you guys enough for all this and again, I can't tell you how much we appreciate this. We're just a couple of old boys that Love going to games, and we're like, hey, let's just throw this out in the oven and see if it bakes and see if anybody likes this. And thank goodness some of you guys do, and you show up, and you make this such a wonderful experience for both Austin and I. We cannot thank you enough. Jason says, I appreciate all that you guys bring to each episode. Thank you. Hey, Jason, we want to thank you. Uh, We want to thank you so much for being such a wonderful Dodgers daily. I don't know what you call it. It's not a participant. We're all doing this together. So uh, I just want to thank you so much for for joining in and everything that you do as well for Dodgers Daily. So that's when we think Andy Paz will debut. Carlos Harley says last year was a nightmare for Miguel Vargas. He's just too good of a major league prospect. Someone will try and steal him away. Hey, Larry Partridge, thank you so much for joining Larry. Uh, Larry, I love this move for Vargas. Every prospect needs a set position before coming up to the majors. Oh, no doubt. I hate it when the Dodgers try to incorporate a prospect in the major leagues and at a new position at the same time. I I won't go off on that. I've done that plenty of times. So I will, I promise, I'll keep my temper on that tonight. But I totally agree with you there, Larry. Roy Estrada, Samuel Ellis, Pedro Guerrero had a pinched nerve in 1988 and only played 59 games. He could hit for average. A interesting anecdote about Pedro Guerrero. He is good friends with my best friend, Eddie Daves, who I eat lunch with every day that he's at Guthrie High School. 
And as a matter of fact, Pedro Guerrero was in the St. Louis organization with Eddie, and they were both at Albuquerque, and they were both taking batting practice. This is like early 80s probably. And Eddie was a catcher, big old, big old dude. I mean, Eddie's a big old dude. And, I mean, Eddie could just flat hit bombs. I mean, he could just straight hit bombs. And you're in Albuquerque, so they have the altitude. And if you've never been to the old Albuquerque Duke Stadium, not the new one that they have, but there was lava rocks out there in the outfield. And Eddie's hitting them into the lava rocks. And, I mean, Eddie's feeling pretty good. He's lathered up. And and Eddie walks off and kind of flips his bat and feeling manly. And he says, Pedro gets up there. And Eddie's like, yeah, try that one on, big boy, right? And he says, Pedro gets up and takes batting practice and starts hitting him like 30 feet past the lava rocks. And Eddie's like, God almighty. Eddie says, hey, as as far as I can hit a ball, we all just stood there and watched Pedro Guerrero just hit balls over the lava rocks just in complete amazement. Pedro Guerrero, Eddie Days will tell you, was the – most naturally strong human being that he had ever seen so every time i see his name that is the story i think about with pedro guerrero he was just a a unbelievably great baseball player hey hardy i just hope vargas doesn't wind up like michael bush agree with you there larry partridge vargas will really be helped with a real spring training that's another big point about miguel vargas he's actually going to get a spring training I think that's an underrated aspect towards last year. Yeah, no, that is a huge aspect towards last year. Obviously, you spend a lot of the time just standing there, what being just watching pitches go by because he wasn't able to swing for a large part of spring training. You think about him being much more healthy, being able to get an active spring training, what that's going to do for his development, what that's going to do for him going into the 2024 season. We're going to be able to get an answer to that because he's coming into camp healthy. He's going to be able to actually swing at pitches during spring training. And I'm excited to see what he's able to do during this upcoming season. I hope he gets an opportunity at some point. I'm really hope that there isn't an injury that happens to this team, obviously. But I think there will be an opportunity for Miguel Vargas, whether that comes with the Dodgers or whether that comes with another organization. I think he has too much talent mm-hmm. in that it, with him to not get future opportunities no for, doubt for the Dodgers or another organization. No doubt about that. So we have another comment about Max Muncy. It's the the only the one of the complaints about Max Muncy here on one of the the chats here is beyond the defense. This is from Roy Muncy is his lack of hitting with runners in scoring position. He either pops ups or, or strikes out. That would go to the low batting average. I'll say this, and and we have a saying for you know you have your power hitters in in your lineup, even high school teams. You have your guys that you want you want to, hey, let the big dog eat, man. You're going to strike out and swing and miss some, but you're our guy that needs to drive in runs, right? Max Muncy's that guy. So the saying that we give those guys in our lineup is, hey, when you're at home plate, you're in scoring position. And so what I will say about Max Muncy is when he's at home plate, he is in scoring position. So he does drive in a lot of runs not always in the situations where there are runners in scoring position, but I think he definitely makes up for that with the amount of RBIs that he hits. Hey, Denard, we have another super chat. We are on a roll, Austin. Denard, thank you for always highlighting the young prospects. They are the future of the best sports on the planet. Totally agree with that. 
Denard, I can't thank you enough for your wonderful support and the way that you contribute here to Dodgers Dogs as part of the Dodgers Daily Network. As I always say, Austin, we are doing this together. Yeah, Mike yeah. says, our wonderful moderator, Mike Sala, says, Seats, you'd be spending all the Super Chat money on parking this year. No doubt about that. Hey, Abstract, thank you so much for joining Abstract. Anybody that's confident of the left side of the field defensively is a liar. I would, hey, I say this all the time, Austin. I love Gavin Lux. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw some video of Gavin Lux up right now. I saw him play shortstop for a full season. Not a full season. He got called up, oh, about three-quarters of the way through the season in Tulsa. So I saw him sit and play quite a bit in Tulsa at shortstop. Here he is. I saw him play a lot in 2019 in Oklahoma City. He was absolutely awesome. That was all at the minor league level. Nobody, absolutely nobody on earth, including me, who tends to be overly optimistic, can tell you that they know what's going to happen with Gavin Lux. They can give you an opinion based on what they've seen, but you haven't seen it at the major league level. So that has to concern you. And you know how you can tell that it concerns the the Dodgers organization, Austin? How's that? They have two guys on the roster right now that could both play shortstop, Miguel Rojas and Chris Taylor. You know what else they have in their back pocket? Who's that? Willie Adams. There yeah. are backup plans to Gavin Lux. I assure you that the Dodgers, they think he's going, they hope, they think, they're pretty confident. They can't guarantee that Gavin Lux is going to handle the shortstop spot. You just can't. Yeah. So, yeah. Best. Best case scenario for the Dodgers is Gavin Lux is able to play at least average shortstop. He's able to produce offensively. And then you're having a really good, young, controllable shortstop for the next couple of seasons, which shortstop is one of the most expensive positions to be able to get really good, solid production, both offensively and defensively. I think Gavin Lux, obviously we don't know what is going to happen. We don't know how he's going to come back from injury and combining that with Max Muncy, who we've talked about, does have defensive liabilities at third base. That creates a lot of concern defensively. I still believe in Gavin Lux to be able to produce offensively at the big league level. I think he's going to provide something unique and different, but I think it's very important for the Dodgers to find an answer right now is Gavin Lux going to be the shortstop going forward for this team? And I think they're going to give him opportunities to establish himself to be the Dodgers everyday shortstop. And if he succeeds, it is the best case scenario for the Dodgers because you have him for another three-ish seasons on your club or three or four seasons, however Mm -hmm. long he is under control on your club with a really good, solid, upside, controllable piece during the prime years of Betts, Otani, and Freeman. If not, they do have other avenues. They can bring in a Miguel Rojas late in games as a defensive substitute substitution to where if the game is close, you can use him and feel comfortable with him playing shortstop. You have Chris Taylor that you can put in that position as well. I think the best case scenario right now is to find out the answer. Is Gavin Lux the future? You could go out and get a Willie Adamas right now, but then you still wouldn't have an answer for 2025 for shortstop. 
Sure. Right now, in 2024, at the beginning of the season, you're at least going to find out the answer. Can Gavin Lux stick at shortstop? Can he be our shortstop, at least for the next couple of seasons? If not, you can go ahead and trade for Willie Adamas. Feel comfortable with Adamas defensively because he's a great defender at shortstop. He can run into some power as well and potentially look on different avenues towards extending Adamas or looking for another shortstop option. But right now, best case scenario, Gavin Lux is able to be your shortstop of the future. And at least in the early stages of 2024, you will have an answer because if you go out and get somebody right now, you won't have that answer until maybe 2025 or if that shortstop that you acquire gets injured. No doubt about that. So Gavin Lux, I would totally agree. You know, Max Muncy, not the greatest defensive third baseman. Gavin Lux, obviously you can't guarantee what he's going to do at shortstop. So I would agree abstract. Nobody can say, I think you can say that, Hey, I'm confident that Gavin Lux can handle it, but Mm -hmm. I don't think you can say, I'm confident the left side of infield is good enough at this point. So I think that's a good point. Hey, Harley, yeah, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, no, man, I'll help next month. I'm an old retired guy. No, please, man, we we just enjoy you showing up. That's all we ever want out of this deal, Harley. We love baseball, too, and we love talking baseball with you. Pelican says, yeah, left side is hope for the best. Kind of scary. Tony Ordaz third says, hi, Casey. Hey, good evening to you, Tony. I always say it, Austin. What do I always say about our crowd? Oh, it's the best crowd out there. It's not it is, the biggest, but it's the best. It is not the biggest, but it is the best. And thank goodness it has continued to grow, and we can't thank you enough for continuing to grow this live chat. So, Tony, thank you so much for joining, and 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 hello back to you. Hepatitis C later says, when the Yankees are fourth in the AL East by the trade deadline and try to trade Soto, then resign him in free agency like a Rawls Chapman. Dodgers will gladly trade three months of Soto for a playoff run, and he was mentioning River Ryan, Landon Knack, and one other pitcher. Is that something you'd be interested in, Austin? Uh, I mean, Juan Soto is one of the better mm-hmm. offensive pieces out there. He certainly would go a long way. Even if he walks, the- even if you know he's going to walk, is that something you would do? Give up a River Ryan, a Landon Knack, and another pitching prospect? If you believe that's going get, to get put your offense over the top to win the World Series, it's 100% worth it. I totally. It it depends on how how the offense is. Do you think the offense at that point would be too left-handed heavy? That could be a question Mm -hmm. of concern that you have. But if that puts you over the top to win a World Series, then of course you have to do whatever you can to try to win a World Series, even if that player walks during free agency. Um, I don't envision the Yankees trading Soto right now. I think they'll still be competitive but if things don't go right and they're still going to be in competition with baltimore who is going to who just got their ace in corbin burns with tampa bay who somehow finds ways innovative ways to be able to compete with the team like mm-hmm. toronto who's still we're still waiting for toronto to be able to break out there's a lot of really intense competition for new york so you could see if things really don't go right, them potentially looking to move a Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. That conversation isn't quite there yet. But if that puts your offense to just the ultimate next level to where you're scoring five, six, seven runs a game, then of course you have to do you have to make this sacrifice to put yourself in the best position yep. to win in twenty twenty four. So if I were to tell you that I'm just not fired up about Juan Soto. Something about him just doesn't scream Dodgers to me. What what is it? 
What what would you say that I'm seeing there? You know me, I, Austin. Yeah, what am yeah, I seeing yeah. that doesn't fire me up about Juan Soto as far as him being a, a mix for the Dodgers? What would it be? I mean, it could be something to do that he was part of that Padres club for yep. quite a while. Uh, obviously, we're not huge fans of the Padres here on Dodgers Dogs, but that could be a big part of it. Um, offensively, I think he has been really productive. Defensively, he's not the greatest defender out there. It could be something to do with Padres. Obviously, did not have, do well this past season. Uh, in the regular season, and he was supposed to be one of those leader type roles that was a part of that club that tried that had a lot of superstar type players, yeah. but was not able to put all those pieces together. That could shy you away, but he was part yeah. of that 2019 Washington Nationals mm-hmm. World Series winning club, which he played a big, big time role on that club. I think he's still incredibly talented. He has all the trajectory of the world to be one of the best players of this generation. Uh, it hit, well, it would be a real question if he'd be a fit with the Dodgers offensively yeah. as a baseball player. Absolutely. You'd try to find a way to get him onto this club, but we're not there quite yet. Yep, this is no kind doubt. of all hypotheticals going into the future. I'm excited to see yeah. what, Victor Gonzalez, what Gorbett Vivas, what Clayton Beater, what uh, Caleb Ferguson are able yeah. to do in New York uh, and see what see what sort of avenues they're going to have. Yeah, and I always say it, we love the prospects. We love every one of these guys. We love it when they get traded because it gives them runway somewhere else that they probably wouldn't get with the Dodgers. And I specifically always say this. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you trade or who you don't play. If you win a World Series, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I don't care who you trade Juan Soto for. If he leads you to a winning a world championship, a world series, and he is a guy that gets you over that top, it doesn't matter who you give up. It's worth winning that world championship, even if it's just one. At least that's how I feel. So if the Dodgers feel like Juan Soto is going to put them in position to win a World Series of which they don't think they can win without him, like he advances their cause that much, you go get him and, and you don't worry about who you're returning at that point because it doesn't matter because if you win a World Championship again. that's The only goal to all this, all this video we show, all the prospects we talk about, all the games, there's only one goal, Austin. You know what that one goal is? Win a World Series. For the, for the Major League Club to win a World Series. That's all yeah. this is for. That's all it's for. So you can't get right up to the doorstep and say, man, I don't think we want to give up River Ryan. I'm willing to not win a World Series because I want to hold on to, as good as River Ryan is, I want to hold on to a prospect. No. (laughs) You trade the prospect. Now, you have to be convinced that the guy that you're getting actually is the guy that's going to put you over the top. Of course, it's always a gamble. There's no guarantees. But at that point, you go and do it. Okay, so does Juan Soto make sense for the Dodgers in 2025? I don't know if he makes sense. That's from Denard. I would say, uh, give me a yes, no on this, Austin. I would be shocked if he's with the Dodgers in 2025. It's going to take a massive, you're talking about 40 plus million dollars per yeah. year type contract. And so you add that onto the Mookie Betts, add that onto the Freddie Freeman, add that onto just assuming all the cumulative type of money that uh, Shohei Otani is going to get, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I, yeah. I find no it yeah. difficult 
unless it's something where, man, the offense just didn't perform in the postseason. We need to add some other piece to this lineup. Bam, let's add another superstar. That is the only case scenario where I could see that becoming an option. There will be opportunities in the outfield, and if the Dodgers really want to spend even more money, that could open. they could be open to that. Uh, it's too far in the future right now to be able to predict, though. Okay, hey, we do have a new Discord. Mike has, has put that Discord link in the chat. Go check that out. Lots of direct talk about the Dodgers. Hep C says that uh, Muncie is underpaid and people still crapping on him. His defense won't be the reason the Dodgers potentially lose. Matter of fact, Hep C, if you go back to the beginning of our show, we spent quite a bit of time talking about how good his offense is and how much above league average that he actually has been. So uh, we are on that same page right there with you, Hepsi, no doubt about it. So, hey, Brett Rose, should the Dodgers sign another major leaguer to the 40-man roster once the pitchers get put on the 60-day IL, or is it better to leave a spot open for future needs? I would leave that spot open. The reason is you got to be careful with the 60-day IL ads because if it's like a Clayton Kershaw or Dustin May, guys that are going to come back, what do you do with the guys that you put on the 40-man only because of that? At that point, then you have to DFA them. That's tough. So it's guys like Gonsolin that you put on there that aren't coming back this year that are valuable. That's why like a, a Woodruff would be interesting to see if you get him because then you put him on the 60-day. That's the entire year. That yeah. opens up a spot on the 40-man for a prospect for the entire season. So again, if you bring if you put Kurt, you put Kershaw on the sixty day, May on the sixty day, and then say you add like a, a River Ryan because of it, or you add a Drew Avens. So what do you do when those two come back? Right? You're hoping somebody's you're not hoping, but you're banking on somebody being hurt at that point. But if nobody's hurt, at that point you got a DFA River Ryan, which is not what anybody wants to do. So you have to be careful there. So uh, yes or no, Austin, would you sign another major leaguer to the forty man once? The pitchers get put on the 60-day. It depends on who it is and what the opportunity cost of bringing that player in. I don't think right now there is a guy on the free agent market that you could say, okay, this guy, we can sign him and be a major league quality player. Obviously, there's still guys on the market. Blake Snell has not signed. Jordan Montgomery has not signed. Matt Chapman has not signed. I don't envision the Dodgers going after any of those guys because they are going to take high quality years and a lot of money to bring those guys in Mm -hmm. i think you could look for potentially a guy that's right now you would look for a guy on the free agency that would put your team over the top that would be okay this guy is worth giving up innings for a kyle hurt or giving up innings for an mhg and i don't see that guy out there in free agency you could see maybe that happens to trade or maybe the dodgers go out if they sign a guy through free agency it would be a guy that might have some minor league options so they can have some flexibility and some depth to this team that could be an avenue but as far as a major league quality starter on free agency i don't think you you yeah. have to fill right. in the void of the guys that could be put on the 60-day injured list because of some of the concerns of, okay, what happens when yeah. they come back, which right. are assuming that some of those guys will come back. And what is that going to do for the opportunities for some of the young guys, which mm-hmm. you hope are able to fill in those voids. So I think it's a possibility, but it has to be either a guy that you expect to be on this big league club yeah. and are willing to give up innings for the younger guys 
or that has minor league options that can be good, solid depth that when a Clayton Kershaw comes back, so right. you might feel comfortable with moving on from him. No doubt. We have a wonderful crowd here. We have lots of comments, and we are going to stay until we get all these comments, not just read, but we're going to actually interact and discuss these. Okay, Dinar, do you think Jason Hayward will improve, decline, or stay the same? I think just about the same, and I think the, the ability to platoon put him in good matchups, and then also, like you said earlier, the type of pitches he's going to see because of the lineup around him, I think that's going to allow him to be about like he was last year, maybe a little bit of maybe around league average offensively. Would you agree with that, Austin? Yeah, from my initial assessment, it would be probably yeah. right around similar to where he was. He's in a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. He's similar kind of age-wise to what he has. There's not a ton of warning signs. I mean, he had a 291 right. Babbitt, uh, which is right around the league average for batting average on balls in play. So I would anticipate him kind of being similar, especially if the Dodgers are able to put him in the best situation to succeed. You could see some regression for him. You could see him going from a 121 WRC+, yeah. plus, maybe down closer to 100, 105, 110 type. I don't expect major regression because i think the dodgers won't allow for major regression meaning they're going to put him in the positions where he's able to succeed and that is the playing time that he's going to get because they have manuel margot because they still have to find at bats for chris taylor i think they're going to put themselves in the best position to succeed so uh jason hayward i would expect maybe around the same maybe a slight dip in production as he's on the wrong side of the aging curve see bad Greetings from the beautiful city of Phoenix, Arizona. By the way, Mr. Seabat is breaking. He's breaking, breaking news. Are you ready for the breaking news? All right, let's hear it. Oakland A's owner just announced the A's will be building a stadium in space funded by Jeff Bezos. Breaking news. You heard it right Whoa. here on Dodgers Dogs as part of the Dodgers Daily Network first. Broken by Mr. Seabad from the lovely, beautifully weathered Phoenix, Arizona. I think he said Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> how about that, huh? Okay. Oh, how, yeah, how about that? Lance Jennings. Hey, good evening, Lance. Thank you so much for joining us. Right field weaker than shortstop offensively. I like Lux, but there are questions after his injury. He does have a full bill of health. Do, do, do you think that, that Gavin Lux will be a better offensive player than what you're going to get in totality out of right field? That, that's actually a really good Great question, question. <laughs> um, because I think Gavin Lux, when you look at his last full season that he was able to have, he had about a 114 yeah. WRC+. plus. He was able to walk quite a bit, not strike out a ton. Didn't really have a ton of power production. Uh, if Gavin Lux can have some of that power production, then how the mm-hmm. balls fly and play, I think you're going to get perhaps similar level of productions with Gavin Lux and the right field. I think Gavin That's Lux is a little bit different type of player. I think he hits with a little bit more average, maybe a little less power in there. Um, but with the way that you're able to maximize Jason Hayward and Margot in the best possible situations for them mm-hmm. to succeed – if you're able to maximize them and then have Gavin Lux go up against get 400, 450, 500 plate appearances during this upcoming season, which he's yep. facing against all different types of pitching, perhaps you can see them being fairly similar in their level of production. Um, I, I don't really have a idea as far as who would or which position would be better or more valuable. Yeah, batting average. Um, yeah, so... 
I, th- I think they're both going to be yeah. pretty good, solid contributors to the Dodgers. I think Gavin Lux is going to be better than that. I think he's going to be a, a good offensive player and a, and a good enough defensive player. Normally, I think, of course, again, haven't seen it defensively, so I, that's just my opinion. Hey, normally I think fans value Andy Paez more than Andy, uh, more than that, more than Friedman. Remember, he basically wanted to give him and Jock away to the Angels for a middling infielder. Yeah, that was that was quite a while ago, and he's yes. had injuries since then. And Andy Paez, what what you like about Andy Paez is the here's okay here's what you like about Andy Paez that translates to major league success. This is the defense for him. I would say the big arm, the big arm's never going away. He's always going to have that big arm. He lost 25 to 35 pounds. He played some center field. He can play all three outfield spots. And then here's another thing, okay? He's always been one of the, the, the top home run hitters in your system every single year, and he does it like Dalton rushing while not striking out a ton. So he swings at the right pitches. Typically speaking, one of the biggest indicators to whether a guy can continue going up is whether they can identify spin and can they identify the right pitches to swing at. Guys that have lower walk rates are guys that have shown they can swing at the right pitches, and that translates more to major league success. So that would be my defense for Andy Pajes. Yeah, and I will say that was back in the offseason, the 2019-2020 offseason. That was four years ago. That was when Andy Pajes was, what, 19 years old. Um, You're talking about him not really having – just having rookie ball level experience. So if you're talking about guys at rookie ball level experience and working on some sort of trade for them – yeah. I don't think everybody has an idea of who these guys are as prospects when they haven't even debuted at Rancho Cucamongo or at this point, Great Lakes would have right. been the low A affiliate of the Dodgers. I think what has changed is the level of production that he has had. And in 2021, which this is a full year after they thought about moving on from Andy Pajes, put up a 152 WRC plus for the loons in 500 plate yeah. appearances <laughs> and just had an absolutely unreal. So things have changed since that trade with trade possibility with the angels, with a lot of those rumors and the trade falling apart. Obviously that's a great thing for the Dodgers because Pajes trade value now is significantly greater yeah, than yeah. his trade value back when that trade was taking place because we don't have an idea of who these guys are fully going to become before then. I think if we talked about maybe this time last season, we had no idea how Tyrone Lorenzo, how good of a player he actually was. Yes, Tyrone Lorenzo. Uh, And then he put up a 155 WRC plus in Rancho Cucamonga. It's very difficult to predict. He was more back then, more of a lottery type prospect he just happened to work out so i think Mm -hmm. the i think friedman very much values andy pajes as a player and as a potential piece going forward in this organization perhaps we value him a little bit more but it is not to say i don't think it's fair to say that we got that friedman doesn't value andy pajes a lot because a lot has changed since that trade possibility has taken place i think they have plans if things go right for him to be the starting right fielder in this organization. So absolutely, I will make that statement. I will make that statement. I think the Dodgers have plans for Andy Pajes to be the starting right fielder in this organization and quite possibly as early as next year. I'll make that statement and I will stick next to that. Normally says the difference with Muncie now and four years ago is he's missing his pitches more often if they had the automatic balls and strike system. 
Muncie would have more value because his good eye would come into play because then he would only have to swing at strikes that are in the strike zone. Abstract says, is it true the Dodgers don't want to use a six-man rotation? Jay has brought this up. This is a great point. First of all, just go look at the schedule in the first month. Because of the off days, the Dodgers can use the off days to have a quasi-six-man rotation. So instead of calling it a five- or six-man rotation, that's all semantics. Here is the way you actually evaluate that. How many times – so you, so whenever you have a five-man rotation, you have four days of rest in between, right? How many times will Dodgers pitchers pitch on just four days rest? It's going to be less than 40% of the time. So call it a five – so call it a five-man rotation, call it a six-man rotation, call it whatever you want to call it. What I'm going to tell you is the math is going to tell you very seldomly, less times than more, Dodgers pitchers are going to throw on just four days rest. About 60 to 65% of the time, Dodgers pitchers are going to be pitching on five days of rest or more which is the exact same thing as a six-man rotation. So I think Dodgers fans are getting caught up on the semantics of five-man rotation, six-man rotation. It's a matter of how the Dodgers are able to manipulate the IL, the schedule, and the up-down train to give their pitchers more times than not at least five days of rest or more in between starts. Did I explain that properly? Yeah, and they have Ryan Yarbrough or a prospect like a Gavin Stone or Landon Knack or Kyle Hurt as that quasi six-man option already in the bullpen. So when it comes down to a, you have a 10-game road series that you have to go through and you you don't want to pitch all of these guys, then you can throw one of them in or call up a guy from Oklahoma City take advantage of some of the rules and be able to call guys up and down. There's going to be different avenues that the Dodgers are going to be able to explore. They're not going to go out and say, we're going to use exclusively a six man rotation and stick to that because there's different breaks in the season. There's different needs that the schedule provides. And I think they're more looking instead of we're going to pitch these amount of days. I think they have that in mind, but I think they're more concerned with the amount of innings and the workload that a lot of these pitchers are going to be throwing. I think they're going to be creative in how they adapt to that and i think it's going to be uh, a unique way that the dodgers are going to navigate their innings the days of these are our five pitchers and we're going to stick with it the entire way i think right now for the dodgers are over and i think it's going to be something where they're going to be creative throughout the course of this season how they're going to implement starting pitchers and give these guys innings to make sure they're as healthy as possible i don't think that Mm -hmm. means six-man rotation all the time because that means you have one less bullpen arm and And with the amount of guys with the amount of guys that only go one maybe two innings at absolute most in this bullpen unless you have guys that can give you length out of the bullpen it doesn't make a ton of sense to have a six-man rotation right now so it could be a possibility in the future as needs provide and as you add length to the bullpen but right now i think they're going to there you have the five man and then they're going to have that quasi Mm -hmm. six man as needed throughout the course of the season it's going to be a unique starting pitching development for the Dodgers as they try to keep these pitchers healthy. Clyde Howard, good evening. Clyde says, listening to you guys do the math, the pitching staff at OKC is going to be absolutely insane. No doubt about it. Barring any significant injuries, 
to the pitching staff, OKC could possibly repeat as PCL champions. No doubt. I would totally agree oh, with that. Oh, that would be amazing to would be, be able to the Oklahoma City Baseball Club winning the Pacific Coast League Championship. Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing? No doubt. And imagine just the season last year. Rancho was in the finals. When we're talking about, we're talking about the yeah. California League finals. Right Lakes was in the Midwest League finals. Tulsa, of course, they're always the one that has all the, the up-downs. They lose all their pitching about halfway through. But they were one of the best teams in the league all the way through about oh, the beginning of July. Oklahoma yeah. City won the PCL. So, I mean, gosh, yeah. this 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 system last year was absolutely incredible. Oh, I know. I'm hoping for a couple more championships yep. out of the uh, Dodgers affiliates this mm-hmm. year. Let's get – well, obviously, I want Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. They're kind of on that trajectory. 2021, they were really close. To, they had just two yeah. playoff spots. They ended up falling a little bit short. On that one, 2022, they made it to the playoffs, got up one nothing, then fell short to Lake County. 2023, mm-hmm. they won the division, made it to the championship for the second time ever, and then lost by one run in Game 3, a seven-game Game 3, which I'm still a little bit upset about that. Seven-game seven Game 3. Seven-inning Game 3. Nine. yeah. Yeah, seven-inning Game 3 against a Cedar Rapids, yeah. but 2024, I think this is a year for them, but I want to see that for other affiliates yeah. as well. I want to see Tulsa back in the postseason, Oklahoma mm-hmm. city, be able to bring championship Rancho as well. Let's get championships, not just for the Dodgers, but the affiliates as well. Hey, we have a comment that we're thin on shortstop prospects. That's why I'm playing Trey Sweeney right now. You're seeing his defense at shortstop. The Dodgers traded for him earlier this season abstract says let's get willie adamas now i'm sorry i have no faith in lux and boyd manny is kind of on the opposite side of that says in lux we trust gavin's gonna rock hepsi says that muncie is underpaid and 36 home runs for 10 million he can't understand why people complain about that again it would be the batting average and the defense and that kind of thing too norm lee says even when he was drafted his defense was not a strength I saw that in Oklahoma City. I would agree with that. And I did see him in college, too, with Baylor. Boy, he could absolutely mass. So I have a history yeah. with Max Muncy all the way back to college. I would agree with that statement yeah. that he was always a good offensive player, never a good defensive player. Matter of fact, in my opinion, it's amazing. He's as good defensively as he is to me, having seen him both in college and in Oklahoma City. Mr. Seabat, if you're tired of crowds waiting in line and just need some space to unwind, and the peace and quiet, may I suggest, the San Diego Padres training camp. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. Pelicans says, to be fair, actually, uh, I lost my spot. To be fair, Muncie hit 20 of those in home runs in San Francisco. Just kidding. Now, Denard, Dodgers farm system has deep pitching. Seems like they're thin on offense in the minors. Andy Pajes, of course, you had Yorba Vivas. You had Eddie's Leonard. So you have some guys coming, Jose Ramos. But, yeah, it definitely is, I think, probably – it's probably yeah. more top-heavy with pitching. Yeah, and I will say, because there was a comment about Dodgers being a little bit thin at shortstop, I, I agree with that. Watch out for Alex Freeland. I yeah, think he has no a doubt. real opportunity to be able to break out. I saw him in Great Lakes this past season. I think he has all the tools in the world, and I think he has a lot of upside – to be able to break out and be a really high impact performer in this organization. Watch out and watch his development as he continues into Tulsa this upcoming season. I would totally agree with that. Let's get back to some comments here. And we have, with so many expiring contracts, this is from Norm, the Dodgers arguably would have enough room next year. They want to pursue Soto. Yeah, we're talking about Soto here. Like we talked about earlier, Norm 
Lee says Rojas is just as good defensively as Adamas. Don't need another high price swing and miss bat. I, I totally agree with that. I like the offensive style of game by of Gavin Lux better, the, the dynamic bat and ball type skills. I, I prefer that, and I think it's a better mix for the type of offense the Dodgers need this year. Yeah, and Pelican says, speaking about defense, Soto is brutal. Tommy Price, Tommy, thank you so much for joining tonight. The Yankees just got Soto. Their fans would burn Yankee Stadium down if they got, got rid of him. Yeah, beater for Gallo. That 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 was not a good trade. I'll just say that straight up. But that was for upside. Maybe Gallo could get hot for a month, hit yeah. 10 home runs in a month, and take a shot at it. And it was out of position that you had a lot of depth. Right. Plus, I, plus, I will say, where would Beater fit into this Dodgers team right now? We're yeah. already talking about this, all the talent, right-handed pitching, starting pitching talent that the Dodgers have in this system. It's very hard to find room from them right yeah. now. So I, it, I think it was a, it was, it was obviously was not great of a trade for the Dodgers right now. Yankees got a really good, mm-hmm. talented pitcher, but I don't think he would have a role in this team right now just because of the amount of talent that the Dodgers have right-handed starting pitching. Hep C says Guggenheim patch just added onto the Dodgers jersey. Japan money coming in. Soto not out of the possibility. Yep. Okay. Hep C, this is one of the last questions we're going to get to tonight. Austin, Liam Hendricks is going to make a decision soon. You guys like the idea of him on the Dodgers? Yeah, with Liam Hendricks, obviously came back. I believe he, he, I think he is an incredibly talented pitcher when he's able to be on the field, when he's able to pitch and stay healthy. Had the great comeback story with him. Uh, I believe he's the guy who came back, fought through cancer, was able to Mm -hmm. come back with the White Sox. And his upside is a good, really high, talented, late-inning relief-type pitcher. Was a closer of the Chicago White Sox over the course of the past couple of seasons uh, and was a really good one at that. So if the Dodgers are able to do that, if they're able to see what what he has and able to bring him into camp, I think it would be exciting. It would be a high upside type of signing he's getting up there in age so you'd probably wouldn't want to sign him to a multi-year deal you'd want to sign him to a one-year deal i don't know if he'd be ready to go for the start of the season so it could be one of those guys that you bring along slowly able to bring him and actually have him be healthy i haven't done too much investing into looking into liam Hendricks. i just know his past history is really good really talented if the dodgers believe that he can regain some of that form that he had in the past and you're able to sign him through free agency and he might come back a little bit later into the season i think that could be a fit for the dodgers do you like the 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 new major league jerseys do you have a review on them does it bother you either way i mean obviously i think it's a bit of a downgrade from what they had before it's why would they do that i mean that's what i don't get i mean it doesn't really bother me a whole lot but it's like why would you ever do anything that's not as good as it used to be? That just that that, that I don't get it. But yeah, I, I I don't get what they're going. Besides, probably it was a cheaper avenue to go. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't have a ton of opinions on that. I think it's I think they look dumber than what they had before. I think it was a poor decision or poor forethought by the yeah. by fanatics or nike or whoever was able to put those jerseys together and i think it's going to be a little bit of a a headache for a lot of baseball fans for people who enjoy mm-hmm. a lot of these jerseys who saw what they were before and now they're getting a little bit of a crappier version yeah. of it um yeah. yeah it just sucks but 
it's it's just jerseys in the end of the day. Diego Pardo, thank you so much for joining tonight, Diego. When do you think Diego Cartaya will get some playing time in the bigs? It won't be this year, I wouldn't think, unless all hell broke loose. That guy would be Hunter Fiducia. And then you're going to have Austin Barnes again for – what, 2025? So he becomes a free agent after 2025. Is that correct? He, I believe he becomes a free agent after this season. After this, so it would be next year. Yes. It would be next year, uh, 2025. If everything goes like it's supposed to, I think 2025 would be the ETA for Diego Cartaya. Mike Moustakis Moose just signed a minor league contract with the White Sox. Do you think Friedman was tempted to make a call when Craig Council became available? I do not. I think they are absolutely committed to Dave Roberts. Hepsi says he hopes the labrum injury didn't derail Paez. We all do. Yo, Andrew Vargas is going to be a top 100 prospect soon. I can't wait to get video on him. And Mr. Seabat says, I just can't get over watching Otani in a Dodgers uniform. I now know what, what wavy gravy meant when he sat at Woodstock. We must be in heaven, man. And Harley Anderson said Sweeney is a slick fielding shortstop. And that is it for the evening. Austin, final thoughts. Yeah, really fun show that we had on Valentine's Day. A really great crowd. Obviously, we're incredibly grateful for every single one of you guys. Um, it's just been a super fun to be able to do and continue to do the show, Dodgers Daily. You guys are as much part of it as we are presenting this, giving our thoughts and talking through Dodgers offseason. Off-season is basically over. Pitchers and catchers have reported we're eight days away from the start of Dodgers spring training games. We are, what, 35 days away from the Dodgers opening day when they open up against the Padres in Korea. Uh, super excited about that. 35-ish days. That's too many. It's a, oh, I know. It's the, it's too many. But at least we're going to be able to get spring training games. We'll get a little bit of taste of baseball. We are about half. We are halfway through the month of February. It is practically baseball season. Yep. Uh, super excited about that. I know yesterday the Loons had a season ticket holder event. I was not able to go. I'm stuck here on the other side of the state right now. Uh, 51 days until Loons opening day. I can't wait for baseball to be able to return and all of the moves that we've loved this offseason get to be played out and we get to see the 2024 version of the Dodgers, which we've seen this club have probably the best offseason we've ever seen a club No, have. not probably. We have seen Eliminate them the have probably, the, yes. Yes. <laughs> we have seen the best offseason that any club has ever had. Now we get to see how that translates onto the actual field where it counts in 2024. I'm really excited. Baseball is here. Want to thank everybody for tuning in. This was a lot of fun. No doubt about it. I also want to thank my new laptop for actually working. It's like the 11th computer I've tried in the last three days. We were scrambling to get the scene set up and get everything going. So I'm super glad that this laptop actually worked and we got this show on the air. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. And as always, go Dodgers.